Inverse Genius episode 25, Game Shows. In this episode, Eric is joined by Don and Bruce Vogue to talk all about game shows, kind of the history of them in an encapsulated format and just what we find so fun about them. Inverse Genius is sponsored by our incredible Patreons at patreon.com slash OBG. Or you can also head to PodPledge, where we have an Inverse Genius PodPledge page. So head over there and check it out. All the funding goes to support the monthly podcasting costs. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inverse Genius. This time I've wrangled two monkeys to join me instead of just the normal one. So monkey number one... is uh, Mr. Walsfio himself, Donald Dennis. Hello, everybody. Find me on the internet as Walsfio. And monkey number two is the amazing Bruce Vogue Third. Oh, you're far too kind. You're far too kind. Uh, I'm going to make a request this time. Uh, find me as Bruceco Thinks on Twitter and and uh, follow me because I'd like to get to 500. I feel Ooh, like yeah. I'm under 500 and I feel like that makes me not like not like a real social media person. What if I unfollow you and follow you 500 times? I mean, like, that's that's a start. That's a good moral victory for me. Okay. I think you should just change your picture to some random hot girl. That could be a play. That could be a play. That, that's, that's worth at least 50 follows, right? I think if yeah, I'm involved maybe, in, but in any i got to have a whole plan where I'm sending out, like, <laughs> bootleg emails. and nah, it's too much work. Understood. I think, okay. I think if I'm involved in any victory, you really can't call it moral. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> What does that say about this show? What's well, yeah, the less squibbity wobbity woo. <laughs> so we're here to talk. What what are we here to talk about, guys? The wonder that is game shows. Ding 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 ding. ding. Correct, Eric. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm sorry, Bruce. Big you have money, to state that money. in the form of a question. I don't. This is not Jeopardy. I feel like <laughs> I'm in Jeopardy. Oh, so, baby. I was gonna do it. It was I was I had the word coming. I was like, no, are we really? Is this the right time? It's always the what right is time. a Greg Kiln band reference? The Greg Kiln band, absolutely. He does a cameo at the end of "I Lost in Jeopardy" because this original "Our Loves in Jeopardy" song was what was being parodied. Mm-hmm. Weird Al. All right, for those of you that are wondering what we're talking about. Yes, and if you are, you probably don't listen to any of the shows that's, that we perform. That's probably true. <laughs> So, yeah, we want to talk a little bit about game shows, just because, well, they have a lot of interesting history, and uh, Bruce is a a wealth of knowledge about them. I have a reasonable amount of knowledge, and Don will act as the ignorant person asking questions. Mm, That's that's (laughs) my lot in life, pretty much. (laughs) So, I say we just jump jump right in. Now, of course, we're we're talking about televised game shows here. Wait, wait, Mm -hmm. not radio Uh, game shows? Like, from way back before there was television and they did game shows then, too? Does it matter? I want to say the only one I confidently could discuss is You Bet Your Life. Mm. Because I think Groucho had that as a radio show before he took it to TV. But past that, I just don't know them well enough. In reality, early TV was radio transformation transposed into tv anyway or plays or vaudeville yes exactly yeah yeah so so the idea of a game show is that you have contestants that they are competing in an actual competition with some kind of prize at the end maybe a box of cigarettes but there's still a prize (laughs) one of the great things about the game show network is they'll occasionally show I forget what night it was, but they would show those old from the 50s kinds of things. And yeah, you know, you get a carton of Laramie cigarettes or something. Oh, yeah. No, that stuff used to be crazy. I still remember. It's going to get dark for a second, folks. So so bear with me there. Kitty cats, puppy dogs. It'll be all right. Mm. Uh, my mother smoked a lot of her life. That is eventually was her undoing. But I remember as a child, I would kind of like yell at her like you do when your mother smokes. We were like, what are you doing? How did this become a thing? And I still remember her telling me, she was like, well, you know, like, when I started this habit, you didn't really know it was dangerous. And I still remember saying, like, there's fire four inches <laughs> from your face. How does that not scream danger? And well, I remember her explanation was, she was like, watch any TV from when I was a kid, and you'll have the answer. And I still remember when the Game Show Network started to show, like, those old episodes where you almost can't see the panel on the panel shows through the fog of smoke. 
<laughs> no kidding. As everyone's like, I'm certainly glad I'm smoking these incredibly healthy Winston cigarettes. Like, as you see it now, you're like, it's a, almost a joke. Like, they knew the future that was coming. Because it's always like, these incredibly healthful, these wonderful for your lungs, Marlboro cigarettes. And you're like, you, who, someone knows what they're doing. Nine out of ten doctors <laughs> prefer menthol cools. <laughs> Absolutely. You're like, get out of here. Yeah, my my mom's got COPD and she won't quit smoking. I understand. She, she's I on understand. oxygen with has to do the steroid mist and all that stuff for her lungs. Won't quit smoking. So. It's it's a heck of a habit, ladies and gentlemen. Those of you that that have it, I'm sorry, and those of you that are that are trying to fight it every day is tough. And I get it. And we're gonna have more fun now. But I had to mention that because like that was one of those moments where it finally became real to me because I was a kid. You know, I was born in in '78, so like. None of that had any con- context for me. You know, by that point, it was like C. Everett Coop and everything was... And looking back at old game shows, because that's really the only thing that we've held on to where you can really see that slice of life very easily, very real, is watching, like, those old You Bet Your Life or uh, I Got a Secret. I got What's my probably, line? I have a secret. Um, <laughs> uh, but those, those old panel shows where you really see it just unabashedly, it sort of reminds me if you are a wrestling fan, so of the eight of you that are, if you watch a match from the 90s where they just like let a guy get hit in the head with a chair with no protection, and you watch wrestling now, that like makes you shiver because you're like, oh my God, I just watched that guy brain pan a dude with a chair, and that was cool then. It's, right. it's the same thing. Like It's so off-putting to the modern eye that it really does kind of put things in perspective for you. And for me, it actually helped me for a lot to not be quite so judgy. Uh, personally, because I was like, oh, no, I get it. You know, like, I'm sure at some point I'm going to find out that coffee's the devil. And when, right. when kids say to me, how did you not know? It was a thing you drank that lets you stay up 48 hours straight. How did that not seem bad? I'm going to say, like, Friends was in a coffee shop. <laughs> Watch the television. The whole thing. One of the three sets in that show is a coffee shop. It was everywhere. And the two others are... <laughs> apartments that do not exist in New York. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and there's a Starbucks <laughs> in a Starbucks near a Starbucks on Absolutely. every corner. And that's 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 going to be the thing that we're going to that I'm going to tell somebody's kids about. Where I'm like, eh, yep. I had no idea. So back no, to game, game shows. shows. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? So yeah. So the early game shows they seem to have a lot of panel shows. At least the ones that kind of made it uh, long enough to us to kind of hear. Uh, or see it these days, but yeah, there was a, you were trying to guess. The panel was trying to guess something, whether what's my line, or you know, where someone comes in and like, oh, she's a registered dietitian, and then they just start asking <laughs> questions about uh, you know what they are. So, and then the go ahead. No, no, finish that, and then I'll jump in. Yeah, so so those those were a lot of those early kind of fifties shows, and then of course quiz shows, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in just one sec. Which shows like the dating game count? as a game show because there's a prize and you're competing yes 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 and and like it really is sort of when you look at what a game show is and don't get me wrong if you really get in the game show nerd verse there's a lot of discussion about this and and eric and i would probably find a lot of people that would have competing opinions about what is and what isn't i don't Uh, care about their opinions just your guys (laughs) for for our (laughs) definition you need contestants you need something those contestants do, and you need a prize at the end. Those are kind of the three things I think that we're taking into consideration. Is that is that clearly stated, Eric? Does that also there, get your... Yeah. There is one addition, and that is okay. a competition as well. Okay. Uh, I w- so, I mean, like an actual... There is some sort of... You are, you are competing against somebody. It doesn't have to be hard competition, but it's not some sort of scripted show. And that is where you come across exactly what I think you were getting to, which is uh, an important moment in game show history is uh, what was covered by the movie Quiz Show. It is the $64,000 question controversy. Mm. which was that was a show where you were asked successive questions and the more questions you could get right the the better your chance uh to win sixty four thousand dollars and it would normally begin or i'm sorry it wasn't sixty four thousand dollar question it was 21 yep that's what it was it was 21 and you had to be the first to get 21 points and it was found out later it was exposed that this show was rigged that what they were doing was they were picking contestants that essentially i guess we would say today had been like uh, group tested 
Like it was, it was attractive folks. It was successful folks, and it wasn't a real competition. If you were the Harvard-educated, attractive man, you would be given the answers to the questions ahead of time. <laughs> um, if you were the less attractive, like Brooklyn woman, or like the the guy that actually exposed it, Howard Stemple was sort of like a, a nebbishy dude. Uh, but he was incredibly smart. He knew a lot of things, and he knew that he couldn't lose at this game, that he was too good at it. And he figured out that they were cheating. And then that's when what came into, uh, into I guess the FCC probably laid those down, right? The quiz show laws? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so the government actually had to step in mm-hmm. and get involved and basically regulate, for lack of a better term, how game shows work. And essentially it is, if you are having a competition show, and it is clear that your show is a competition, it must be a competition. Um, that is why reality shows are not called game shows. It's yes. why they're called reality TV. It's also why some of them that appear to be game shows state clearly on everything they can that they are reality TV. So if you look at something like um, one that I loved, and you can judge me, was Flavor of Love, which was <laughs> that was a show where Flavor Flav had entirely too many women throwing themselves at him. And they would have competition. no sense no, to me, right? It makes no sense at all. I get it. My wife and I watched a lot of it. I, I'm not going to apologize, but if you felt that I needed to, I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> uh, but on the show, they would have competitions. So they'd be like, okay, uh, Flavor Flav loves women who are good with a pistol. So we're going to put you in T-shirts, and you're going to shoot each other with, with water hoses. Uh they that that's Wait, how always did I miss rigged. this show? That's Say it again. How did I miss this show? I'd never oh, even I never heard I, of it. It was on VH1 for. Oh, long. there you yeah. go. This is, okay, never mind. Because it was that, and there was also Rock of Love with Brett Michaels from Poison, which you can see that a little bit more, right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe I don't know the whole the whole ascension of Flavor Flav on VH1 was weird because they had that Big Brother type show with celebrities. I forget what it was called. Um, uh, oh, I'm forgetting it now. I thought I had it. I lost it. Yeah, and I actually liked it because the season that Flavor Flav and Brigitte Nielsen were on was yes. with Dave Coulier. No, wait, yeah, wait, wait, like, wait, wait. Are we talking reality real shows instead of game shows? Is that what just happened? Yeah, we'll we'll swing back. Just give me a moment. <laughs> we, we could do a whole other episode on... Okay, just go. Objection just go. overruled, counselor. Continue. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that one was a big hit. Oh, and the best scene in that whole season was when they had one of the new kids on the block, and he was talking to Dave Coulier about how hot, like, Mary-Kate or Ashley Olsen was, and <laughs> Dave Coulier gives him this look like, you know, I knew him when they were five, and they're basically daughters to me. I will pound you into the sand if you keep on this train of thought. We, we can't do this. Do you remember the one television show I was on? Right. <laughs> and then, uh, but anyway, so Flavor Flav and Brigitte Nielsen really hit big popularity they had their own love reality show for at least a couple of seasons and i guess they broke up because well they're both crazy and then uh then that started the rock of love or whatever the The flavor flavor of love and flavor of love on those shows they would have competitions a la survivor where it's like oh if you can shoot whatever with this water cannon you can get an individual date with flavor flav but they make super clear in everything they talk about that that is a reality show, which means that is going to be scripted. It does not fall under quiz show rules because they're not telling you it's a competition ever. And that's sort exactly. of like a big deal is that if you're having a game show, it, you must make it very clear that that's what you're doing. Unless, you're making, unless you don't have prizes, I think, and then it doesn't really matter. So that covers uh, something like At Midnight, which was super successful, or one that I know Don likes, uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yes. I love that show. It is a good show. I was sad when you told me it didn't count. Because there's no prize. And that's also why they're allowed to just say, like, all right, Colin wins. Because (laughs) the, 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 and they state it clearly. And I would guess maybe even for legal reasons, as much as for creative reasons, is uh, the game where there are no prizes and the points don't matter. Uh, Because they have to make it super clear to you that this is not a real competition so that none of those sort of laws kick in. Now, once again, I'm sure they found, they were like, oh, if we have to state that, let's find a fun way to do it. But I wouldn't be surprised if part of that is an obligation. Indeed. Mm. <laughs> so after that, there was kind of a, a, a lulling of game shows. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we had three networks that had to fill in a lot of daytime programming, and soap mm-hmm. operas only carried them so far. <laughs> I guess that's the big, the big appeal of game shows, is that no matter how big the prices got, it was still going to be cheaper than, uh, you know, paying scriptwriters 
doing actual cinematography and uh, and getting a whole bunch of different sets is hey let's do a game show we can rent out one of these failing theaters and uh, and put our show on there oh, a- oh and absolutely plus the beauty is so there is a fantastic documentary called deal that is all about let's make a deal and at the time that let's make a deal became a game show a lot of people were like this is the devil Let's make a deal is the dystopian future that we're all headed to. This is not entertainment. It is a 30-minute long commercial. What are we doing? <laughs> um, and there's a lot of Monty Hall talking about it. It's a really cool documentary if you're a nerd for that sort of thing. But it, it, I never even thought about the fact because that dystopian future did, in fact, come to life. Yeah, well, and, and they were right. Yeah, they were 100% <laughs> correct. Well, so, so what was the problem with it? So I mean, the problem was, so they made the, essentially, prior to Let's Make a Deal... Games looked like 21. They would have one sponsor that would sort of like their logo would be on things, but that would be it. It would be, you know, sponsored by Laramie Cigarettes, and the Laramie logo would be on the front of the podiums, and that would be it. They really wouldn't talk about it more other than maybe an ad midway through. What Let's Make a Deal changed was you were winning prizes. They had, it wasn't a car. You were winning a brand new dart. And they would go into a brand new dart, four-wheel drive, with like they would go into doing a commercial for the dart. And everything you did in the game, if you were trying to win something, you were usually going to have like a brand of potato chips. This is before even um, uh, Price is Right became the Price is Right that it is now. Let's Make a Deal was the first one where everything was a game show. Every, or everything was a commercial. Everything you could win got a full commercial for it. and It was just in-your-face consumerism. Uh, and a lot of people were like, oh my god, what are you doing? Why are you making a show where we're glorifying consumerism this much? You know, everything's pretty and everything's an ad and everything is buy, 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 buy. Whereas, you know, Monty Hall was like, look, here's the deal. I have to fill a half an hour of television. These sponsors have prizes they want me to give away. And if I talk about the prize, uh, they'll pay me. And I can keep the lights on and I can pay the grips and the writers and these people are happy. What's wrong with this? And What's I can get better prizes, probably. Exactly. And he's like, I can, I can do good prizes. I can keep these people entertained. I can pay for the theater. I can pay for the hardworking people that are here with me. And if we give them a little consideration for the fact that they just gave me a car to give away, what's wrong? What am I doing wrong? How am I a bad guy? And that's what the whole thing kind of centers on is one side believing that this is the super consumerist dystopia that we're letting on our television screens. And the other side is saying like, yeah, but if we can make everybody happy and this is the world we live in, why don't we do it? Why don't we use these products to make people happy and get people paid and, and do all those things? Yeah. And so you you watch these shows and you get thralled in, you kind of are enticed into the competition, but then you're also the way the game shows are made, generally speaking, you're also able to compete as well. Mm-hmm. And or at least, you know, for your own your own glorification. Like, oh, don't pick behind, you know, never pick what's door number one. Take the prize and walk away. And and I think that's sort of a big allure of of these game shows. Oh, definitely. I mean I think that's that's what's pushed Jeopardy to such a point is I think it is to me it's always felt like a game that didn't have the largest market share because I don't think it's a game that John Q. Common Man will always get into, but they'll always be a part of the the game where you're going to know something the contested didn't, because they're dealing with the pressure of the lights and having to time the buzzer to ring in and the competition, and you're just sitting at home saying, well, I live in Maryland. Of course the capital's Annapolis. (laughs) How did you not know that? (laughs) Exactly. Well, Jeopardy always felt like the game show that people started watching when they got to college, right? Could be. Yep. It's like um, we watched remote control, but go ahead. I mean, you might also watch other ones, but so many times uh, I would walk through like the, the common area in the dorm. If there was a game show on, usually everybody was yelling at Jeopardy. Yeah, definitely. Well, the, the we'll, we'll probably spend quite a bit of time in Jeopardy. My wife's actually tried out for Jeopardy three times now, four times. I don't know. She's in the pool again, so hopefully she'll get randomly picked. But um, So we watch a lot of Jeopardy at our house. And the beauty of Jeopardy is that there are so many questions. I mean, I, I don't remember the math, but it's probably f- uh, close to 100, uh, probably about 48 around. Um, you're going to know something, right? <laughs> you're going to be able to answer some of these questions. Oh, definitely. And, and so... 
uh, as opposed to some other game shows where you only get 10 or 12 questions. And so that kind of that kind of really helps Jeopardy's popularity as well. Interesting thing back on the uh, Let's Make a Deal, because that was that was the game show that sort of brought it what I would consider like the Technicolor era, right? <laughs> um, oh, it hit oh, that definitely. big success. That was, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the whole costume thing I thought was just fascinating because like early original parts of Let's Make a Deal, everyone's wearing suits and stuff to go to the TV studio and be filmed. So, But then I want to say I was reading an article where like somebody really wanted to get picked and so they wore something like a funny hat or something to grab attention and then it just kind of snowballed to where people were wearing full costumes and and uh, and I just can only imagine what the line to get into the game, you know, the filming of the game show looks like nowadays where it's just everybody wearing everything they can oh, because that's sort of the tradition. It probably just looks like Gen Con. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's just like a cosplay line. Yeah, as a member part of that's actually covered in deal. In the documentary, because that sort of happens part of the way through. They ask him about the costumes. And that's essentially exactly what you says the answer. He's like, yeah, I don't know. One day they realized that if somebody you know, like wore something a little crazy and flashy, we'd probably pick them because they were the best on camera. And then everyone got the idea. And one day, everyone told everyone else, I guess. And they all showed up in costumes. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so... so- like I said, that let's make a deal really kind of ushered in sort of the Technicolor, and like certainly in the late '60s, early '70s, mid '70s, game shows are 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 going bananas. Um, Betty White's in probably two thirds of them. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, Betty White is in everything left, right, and center because she was married to Alan Ludden, who right. was at the time considered one of the like premier Godfather game show hosts. Like he might be lost to history now, but in that like early mid late 70s era he was doing like four shows on tv because that's sort of how it was running right now we sort of joke about a jeff foxworthy character or a or a a steve harvey character doing multiple game shows but when you're looking at those ones in the 70s so much of the midday block was different game shows that you couldn't help but have a host that did three or four different shows yeah there was like eight hosts period yeah. right <laughs> yeah so this guy he did uh, password is the one if probably his most famous one uh, oh, password by and super far. password so by so far. Who, who was charles N- nelson riley dating because he seemed to be on a lot of the shows too uh merv griffin probably yeah i would have to <laughs> that sounds about right um I, i'm always i always keep hoping and i don't know if he ever did and somebody can probably tell me if he ever made it to hollywood squares because I always think of Charles Nelson Riley exclusively on Match Game, but I know he was on more stuff. Yes. And I would every once in a while see like a, a pyramid that he would be on. Where I'd be like, oh, Charles Nelson Riley made it to the pyramid. Good on him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Match Game was one of these games that we watched in the 70s. But in uh, like when there was a revival or a revival of it sometime in the late 90s, early 2000s. And my wife and I, we just got into watching that over and over again you're talking about the cigarettes and stuff i mean they had a panel of six celebrities and then two contestants and you know they each had ashtrays and you know they were drinking because you could tell as the week goes on that they get a little more loopy in their answers and it sounded like it was just a big huge party that actually happened to be a big hit as well and that's also how we ended up with uh with family feud being hosted by richard dawson so Richard Dawson is a real interesting person, right? So he, of course, is <laughs> Hogan's Heroes is sort of where he gets to be kind of popular in America. Yeah, and so he he's on, I love he's that on show. Match we Game. Do a, we should do an episode on that show. I'm sorry. Keep going. I want to be in the pit. I want to sit in the office when they pitched that show. Mm-hmm. It's a Nazi prison of war camp, but it's a comedy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Richard Dawson is on Match Game, and it doesn't take but a season or so before he becomes essentially a regular. And he is, um, he is the go-to guy if you're a contestant. Because at the end, when you get to go for the big money, you get to pick one guy or girl, and they give an answer. And if you match him exactly, you get the big money. And he's the one you go for because he always gives the winning answers. Uh, to the point where they had to change the rules of the game <laughs> because everyone always picked Richard. Yep, they had to put and a they- wheel in. Right, so then you spun, and who you got, you know, heaven forbid you got uh, Radar O'Reilly or whoever. But, uh, (laughs) uh, and the other thing was, was uh, Richard Dawson would argue with the judges if something wasn't close enough to get for 
you know, for a fan or for a, for a contestant. Uh, and that really happens a lot in Family Feud. Oh, that is the whole basis of the current, of the, especially of the current version of Family Feud. In the way that Steve, yeah. Steve Harvey hosts the game differently than Richard Dawson did. Mm-hmm. And I think for the positive, I think has evolved the way that game is hosted. How so? In what way? Okay, so if you looked at the Richard Dawson version, uh, it was very much about Richard Dawson. True. He knew yeah. he was a personality. He kissed all the ladies to the point to where if you watched it now, it's a little cringy. Um, yes. And I would argue it was a little cringy in the 80s watching it. It's very cringy now. But that, Although, yeah. I'll cut him some slack that, I mean, he was kissing... Every woman. Yes. You know, black, white, old, young. So, And he never hesitated or any of that. Yeah. So. His problem was not racism. <laughs> that was not the... Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> kitty cats, puppy dogs, it was not racism that was the issue. It was yeah. it was sexism that was the issue. Um, Fair enough. But that was a trademark herpes, of his. <laughs> and it was accepted and everybody did it. But it was very much Richard Dawson ran that show as, Hey, family from Topeka... It is an honor for you to be here. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you get to meet me. <laughs> um, was very much the feel of that. And, and that, was the, that was the way it should have been run by Richard Dawson because that's the kind of personality he had become coming off of how hot he was on Match Game. Yes. Whereas Steve Harvey does it as, I'm going to talk to you. You're going to give me the material I need so we can all laugh at you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it does turn it a little bit because Steve Harvey is never, rarely does he ever do the kind of like it's an honor for you to meet me, Steve Harvey. It's more, what did you say? Do yeah, you go exactly. to church every Sunday with that thought in your head? Where is your pastor? <laughs> can somebody? Can somebody find you? Are a pastor? Oh my goodness! You know, and then he kind of like walks around and vamps. But it's, it's a twist on the way that game is hosted, and I think it, it has been evolved to a higher level by Steve Harvey because it's much more about the player. You are the star. I, Steve Harvey, am going to do a bit about you. Thank you so much for letting me do that rather than what it was before, which was, aren't you glad to meet me? Yeah, it, it feels, yeah I can definitely see that. It feels a little less polished, but I think the effect is probably better. Yeah, uh, it, it might a little bit, but I think it's because Steve Harvey essentially is is vamping it as it's going on. Because some, and some of those answers, like the best when you see like the greatest game show moments, it's always a moment where no one knows what to say. Mm, right? You know, like follow something. You know, you know, give me a word that you would put after pork, cupine, and mm. you just see everyone freeze. Did you just say cupine? <laughs> like pork cupine? Yep. Yeah, yes, yeah, Steve, cupine, cupine. You know, like, and that's the bit. But if you notice, that's not Steve Harvey talking about Steve Harvey. And like I said, I think those moments where he's having to, to put it on together on the spot are what really shows what a gifted performer he is and what a good job he has done doing Family Feud. I would say the same thing uh, if you take a look at Wayne Brady. Uh, and, and furthermore, yeah. if you look at, um, at Monty Hall. Mm-hmm. Doing uh, uh, Let's Make a Deal is an amazing performance piece uh, if you watch yeah. it. You, it. Because with that, it's, okay, so the envelope in my left pocket is for game two. The money in my right pocket is $100 bills and $50 bills. The $100 bills go for the first part of the round. I can add the $50 bills. Then I have to remember the box is coming down. Like It's all of remembering those pieces and then still being able to do uh, comedy on top of that. That is, that is really crazy in some of those games. But I would say, I'd always just like to know what a great job Steve Harvey does because it is different. It is the same game. It's the same structure. But the way it's presented is really significantly different in the modern era. Yeah, and, and it also kind of shows just, you know, societal evolution as well. You really couldn't do the same show. And, and I'm really thinking about... Um, match game and then the new match game i was mildly excited when you know they were bringing match game back but you know a lot of the fun of the old match game was that you know they're giving you dumb dora was so dumb you know blah 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 and you fill in the blank but there was almost always this double entendre right Mm -hmm. that you knew no one was going to say in the 70s uh unfortunately nowadays it's just a single entendre right (laughs) 
and I think it really loses a lot of that because now the creativity is sort of gone, right? Um, you get the old uh, in the butt, Alex kind of answers. Which, when that happened, of course, was glorious. <laughs> but, you know, the first time's always the best, right? Wait, no. I suppose. <laughs> so and we'll so I, I, I kind of found the new match game to be a little disappointing because it doesn't, and it really couldn't keep sort of that tee-hee-ness that the original had. Talking of moving from previous famous hosts to, to more modern hosts, um, The Price is Right had a huge change, right? And, yes. And what do you think of that versus, hey, Bob Barker is the king of all game shows. You know, of course, I guess you have half a dozen kings of all game shows. But um, right. what, do you, what do you think about the transition for Price is Right? You want to start, Eric, or shall I? Um, you, go ahead. Okay, so <laughs> for me, I think it was, and I think with any of these games... Um, what we have to remember is, is anytime you have a long-running game show, that everybody has familiarity with letting that person into their home however many times they did. Um, for me, it was every time I was sick from school, I would yes. watch The Price is Right, and I would let Bob Barker in my house. And uh, hundreds of times. But, you know, I saw Bob Barker more than I did any of my relatives. Um, <laughs> so you had a certain feeling, and you have to let that go. When a new host comes, I mean, Bob Barker... Towards the end, like they were pretty much like propping him up against stuff, you know. Poor <laughs> Bob Barker. Uh, it took Drew Carey a while because he had to learn the game, he had to learn the patter, he had to learn when to be happy. He had to, and I think that's something. If you're like, I think of myself as a performer. I do for like corporate parties. I do game shows, so I look at this stuff. And for a while, I was like, he just doesn't get it. <laughs> he needs to eventually yeah. get it. And a great moment you can find is is someone absolutely murdered Prices Right. They apparently had memorized all of the prices and just destroyed the game. Uh, from contestants row, they hit it on the nose, so they won the extra money. They went into another pricing game. They collected everything they possibly could there, and then they hit big, and then they went to the final showdown, and they got the final showdown within, like, ten bucks. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. It was, it was like a guy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a guy, and he apparently yeah. had, he swears that, you know, well, the, the last I guess was lucky. just my ATM pin number, which was a five-digit ATM pin number, which all of us know, <laughs> there's no such thing. The man's lying. But memorizing right. the prices is not cheating. Like, it's their fault for using the same prizes over and over again. That's with the, the same, same guy who goes through and wins Scrabble by memorizing the Scrabble dictionary. Exactly. Like, it's that dude or the guy who uh, really, really beat pressure luck. Because he yeah, studied I was the talk boards, about that. Uh, Michael Larson. <laughs> yep. uh, so this guy yep. beat it. Drew Carey's job there. Drew Carey's job always needs to be as the host, and I will say Drew Carey because that's who it is now. But whoever's the host of that game needs to be happy for the contestants. They are an advocate for the contestants. They are the referee of the game because they read the questions or they, you know, check your whether you've given the right price for the Mustang. Or but essentially, in the end, they should be an advocate for the contestant. They want you because to they are not. Yeah, they are not the judge. There is a judge outside. Yeah. Their job is to ask the questions. You're right. Technically, the referee is off to the side. Their job is just to facilitate question asking. So when this guy hit everything, left, right, and center, murdered the whole board, got through, won all the money, made the final showdown within $10, wins everything they have, Drew Carey's <laughs> response should be, Oh, my God, I can't believe I've seen this. This is amazing. <laughs> and, and he goes, uh, Congratulations. And that is Drew yeah. Carey because Drew the whole time felt like he was being cheated. He he felt sort of like you know like a blackjack dealer that's watched somebody take all the chips out of the tray, where he had like a chip on his shoulder, and he's not happy for the guy. And I would say that's the biggest misstep in Drew Carey's career uh, on this show was not seeing that. He has since become a brilliant host and fantastic at the game. Um, he stopped being sort of sarcastic about it, and he's accepted. Rather than saying, like, I'm this cool outsider, and we just happen to be here, and we're playing Price is Right ironically, which is kind of how he started, he's now accepted, like, I'm the host of Price is Right. This is a fantastic American pastime, and I'm so glad I get to be here, which is sort of the way you should play that game. So I think he's evolved into it, but it was definitely rocky for probably about a year or two. Yeah, I agree completely. I think a lot of it is also, the, again, a societal change. Um, 
and we'll really get to that when we talk about who wants to be a millionaire, but the way a contestant behaves has changed on a show over time. We're much more familiar. We're ready to, we're not really there just to give the answer and move on. Like we're on a, uh, you know, at a, on a jury trial or something. It's, <laughs> we're going to joke and we're going to talk and we're going to have conversations and we're going to be friendly. And there's not that sort of distance. How, um, how much of that do you think has to do with so, the fact that everybody has a camera on them all the time and we're used to being filmed or, and, and so we're, it's not so mystical of an experience as it once was where you're going to the great shrines of television. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a societal shift. That and the fact that there's now, you know, umpteen million channels. So bumping into someone who's on TV isn't quite as exciting as it used to be, as it were. <laughs> yeah. So plus I think so. part of it is the game structures. Uh, oh. They, a lot of games started structuring themselves. So there were less metrics per episode. And if you have less metrics per episode, something has to fill in the space. Exactly. So, yeah. How do you mean? I wanted to, well, look at who wants to be a millionaire, okay? This show has arguably like a dozen questions to be asked. And we've got 22 minutes to fill. So, you know, that's two, three minutes a question. And so what we need to do is we need to ask a question and then you need to spend at least 35 seconds talking about what you think the answer is. Even if you know it immediately, you've still got to rattle on. And uh, because what that show has essentially done is turn the final question or the final competition of every show, turn that into every single question. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just sort of trying to keep that, and that's why whenever they ask the question, the lights go down, the you know the spotlights zoom down, the music gets all ominous, everything's dark, and mm-hmm. this is the final question, even if it's your fourth question, right? Yeah. As board games have gotten rid of player elimination, game shows have brought it in even heavier. <laughs> Essentially, yes. <laughs> and, and to me, the success of Who Wants Billionaire. Because that was on like three times a week and prime time, and every every network was thrown out any kind of game show they could to try and capture that. You had the one where you're arguing with the British lady who knows everything. You yeah, had, the weakest link. Yeah, you had a bunch of the, the other one ones. Versus, and, yeah. yeah, and it was all about creating suspense. It wasn't about building up this interesting competition. Again, you got Jeopardy throwing four times his number of questions out, right? Um, but now it's all about suspense and the emotions and the feeling, and it's really, it felt manipulative to me, to be honest with you. Now, this is me being cranky, and because and, I'm with Bruce, you know, and Don, you're the same way. When you were home from sick from school, you were watching game shows until the soap operas came on. Absolutely. And walked away. Um, and so it, this is a whole different thing. This is, we're going to grab your attention, and you're not going to change the channel because we're going to, pull you in whereas before you couldn't change the channel because there's more than other channels to change to right <laughs> and i think of all of those games the one that i think is the biggest offender and i didn't realize how bad it was till i had to host it myself for a corporate function is deal or no deal i knew you were going there yes well, because well, <laughs> deal or no deal is not a game there's yeah, no it's... game there like and you don't think about it because the like like what it does really well is drama right um that is fantastic because you get to talk about that life-changing amount of money. What are you going to do, poor person? Uh, what, like to me, it's the most like one of the most dystopian of all of the of the game. <laughs> the only one that's been worse is there's one recently that I think was hosted by Chris Hardwick that was like uh, it was a where a bunch of like balls drop down. It's almost like a giant plinko board. Yeah. But they specifically pick people where they're like, oh, you're trying to put your church back together. Come play oh, the, the million ball drop. And you're like, oh, man, right. how many children are you going to help if you can just manage to answer the? You know what? I hope you do it. Like, that is the most most dystopian game show I've seen. But Deal or No Deal is not a lot different because, you know, it would, it would be, hey, pick a box, any box, no skill, pick a box. Pick some more boxes, no skill, pick some boxes. <laughs> Let's go through your boxes and see if you pick good boxes or bad boxes. And now I'm going to talk to you for five minutes about right. how this money could change your life, you 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 poor person. <laughs> what what would yep. you do, Debbie? The the bankers offered you twenty one thousand dollars. That's that could help put your daughter through school. Maybe you should take it, Debbie. You know, and the whole crowd is like, we right. want to see more game. This is barely a right. game. We would like to see more Open game. Hmm. Yeah, and it's a great lesson in 
sunk cost, yep. right? Yep. <laughs> it's like you walk away with 21,000. Yeah, you had 100,000 in the case, but you're walking away with 21,000. When you started this day, you had zero. Yeah, you had pocket lint. You have $21,000, <laughs> Debbie. Stop. You're yeah. okay. Yeah, no, it is it is a huge sunk cost fallacy. Definitely. Try not to just walk away trying not to feel regret. That's all you can do for yourself. Yeah. Right. So I've got, the, exactly. I, I got a real question here. Um, okay. Bruce has kind of hit on his uh, game show watching experience. Um, but is that it? I mean, why, why do you watch game shows? Where do you watch them? How do you, you know, what, what does, what does sort of game shows mean to you besides alleviation from sick days? <laughs> well, they're fun and they're competitive. Right, and you get to sort of watch a thing, and it's done in a nice, easily packaged 22-minute, 30-minute block. Unless you're watching Price is Right, where it was an hour. Because, <laughs> hmm. um, I mean, that's why there's a whole network of watching game show reruns. It's so funny. During college, or actually it was after college, Supermarket Sweep was a reasonably popular show yep. on a cable channel. And uh, this basically, the, the whole crux of it was at the end, you get to make this run through supermarket, grabbing everything you can and trying to grab as much money's worth of stuff. And then you can sort of win the sweep. And uh, watching, uh, the other thing is watching strategies develop on the game shows. You know, if you get in about uh, you know, second season, you know, suddenly on supermarket sweeps, they're grabbing, there's a limit of five. So they're grabbing five hams, five this, you know, they knew <laughs> all the high price things and they're always throwing those in. Um and so, so it's it's kind of fun to figure out the strategies, and then you know, knowing you know, trying to guess what the answers are. It's why Wheel of Fortune is as popular as it is because you have an opportunity to try and guess what these words are. Right, and actually, Wheel of Fortune is my dad for years. That was that was practically his religion. Right, it was. Oh, it's this time in the evening. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch Vanna turn letters. Yep. You know, I, yes. I'm not sure he knew it was a Pat Sajak's name, but he knew Vanna White <laughs> and uh, he got her autograph with a picture of him next to her, you know. So, nice. uh, you know, he was all into uh, to Wheel of Fortune. And, you know, it was great because it was sort of a, a group activity that we could all sort of offer our, oh, here's what they're going for on this big puzzle sort of thing. So it did. It built up that anticipation. And like a many other shows where you had a much shorter sort of, uh, horizon of hey the question's been asked and answered and we've moved along uh, which yep. i always thought was kind of interesting um the other is that you know monty hall uh, i guess uh price is right and let's make a deal uh those two shows whenever i went to visit my great-grandmother those those in the osmonds <laughs> were the shows that we would watch uh oh that's a great point it's it's transgenerational it, mm-hmm it really is and but i mean that's why that's why i care about the price is right is because that was, I think my grandma might have had a crush on Mr. Bob Barker because <laughs> we watched that one with uh, with great regularity. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, plus I think a thing to be stated, and currently game shows are kind of turning it on its side because everything has to be like arch and counterculture now. But right. back in the day, and even with a lot of the stuff you see now, game shows are like going to the coolest bar mitzvah. <laughs> like, and I remember this. I, I proposed to my wife at the Price is Right. And I remember the feeling of walking into the Price is Right is that feeling you get when you walk into like a $50,000 bar mitzvah or sweet 16 party. Everything's loud. Everything's bright. Everything's pretty. Everything's shiny. Everything smells good. Um, and I think that's what game shows promise us in a lot of cases. Once again, now it's changing because things are getting so, like I said, so arch and so counterculture. And so we're going to take this and change it and make it weird. And, you know, so there have been some changes. But for a lot of the big game shows that we think of, uh, whether you're looking at Price is Right, which, it, you know, it's big, it's colorful, it's loud, it's pretty. There's attractive people there and someone talking to me and that's fun and I hear music. Or if you look at something like a match game, it is, I'm going to sit around and drink with some of my friends. And we're going to have that super cool party where we all just talk to each other because we're so gosh darn cool. Um, I would say currently, I'm trying to remember what the network is called, but it was Funny or Die, I believe, made it. And they made it first as like a 10-minute game show, and now on their new network, they're making a half-an-hour game show called mm, Actually... Uh-huh, where someone makes a <laughs> statement about nerd culture, and then you ring in by going, mm, actually, and you fix the problem in the statement of nerd culture. 
You get to pull your your Cliff Clavin out, and, eh? and that's exactly what. And it's that you sort of pull out your almost like a toxic gatekeeper, right? You, it's a little known fact yeah. that <laughs> uh, you know over a million copies have been sold of uh, Passage to Ride. Mm, actually, the game is called Ticket to Ride, <laughs> and that's the entire structure of the game. But that's that party where you're hanging out with your nerd friends. You know, testing everybody else's nerd in a in a best case scenario for a lot of these, it should be about going to the super cool bar mitzvah, and I think that's what a lot of us kind of feel is we want to be at that super cool party playing those fun games with people. And I think you know, I think that's what a lot of the best shows that we've seen. Even uh, Eric, you talk about, and we've talked about it, remote control. That was mm-hmm. that party in the basement with your friends, watching TV, eating Cheetos. Is mm-hmm. that's the party you were invited to there? Um, exactly. You know, I think in all of these, that's what it sort of breaks down to. Like I said, until it gets really weird, until you know we get to like the Dadaist game shows. Uh, but shy of <laughs> that, Sprockets the game show exactly. <laughs> well, uh, but and the Japanese, yeah, various Japanese game shows get. Uh, oh yeah, now that could be a whole show in itself. But some of those are just so amazing, and you know. I, I, when they get brought over to America, I'm thinking of Ninja Warriors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're specifically. terribly physical compared to some of ours. Oh, definitely. Well, certainly. But that they're again, like in, in in Japanese Ninja Warrior, they don't care if anyone ever makes it to the end, right? You know, there's like four guys that ever survived <laughs> the whole thing, right? And uh, it's just you know, you're watching, you get to learn their stories, you kind of watch the funny people do stuff, mm-hmm. and then ooh, do they make it or they don't? But of course, the American version now, and 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 it's just culture. But you know, it's all about defeating it and beating it and doing everything you can and and it's all about i don't know it seems to lose some of the story and it's all just man versus machine i think we all know that if it's american it's not about culture it's about lack of culture (laughs) well at least i I think there's something to be said that what uh the japanese ninja warrior celebrates is the rare the few the the exceptional the fantastic whereas the american version if you don't make it to the end you suck Right. And that's really weird because you can fail Ninja Warrior in Japan and everyone's like, oh, you did so well. You made it so so few make it to the end. And that is not how we feel in America. That is not yeah. what it's going to be. We only want to make fun of you. And it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely, I think you, there's a lot to be to be seen in culture from its games. And I mean, we talk about that on, on board games as well. Uh, but I, I think game shows, you can see a lot about a, a group of people. Yes. Oh, and let me just say that I'm so glad the gross-out game show trend has faded away, you know, Fear Factor and whatnot. I don't care to watch people get snakes dropped on them or eat who knows what. Um, So I'm glad we've moved away from that at least a little bit. And that's probably when I quit watching game shows was when those things started to happen. I'm like, okay, done now. (laughs) <laughs> and that's sort of what I'm talking about when things start to get kind of arch and counterculture and weird. Um, there was also the one that Chris Jericho, professional wrestler Chris Jericho, hosted, where your things would be dropped off a building. Like your own personal items? Um, it would be a prize. So, so okay, there were two oh. ones. There was a British one, and I can't remember who the host of it was, where he would destroy things you owned. Uh, and then there was one with Chris Jericho where they would find out. I'm trying to remember whether it was stuff you owned or prizes you were going to get. Um, I, it might have been a mix of the two, actually. Uh, I think maybe you had to pony up something you cared about, and then you could win things. But they'd be like, oh, you've always wanted a piano. And a piano would show up on a <laughs> conveyor belt about to be dropped off the side of like a Vegas high-rise hotel. And, <laughs> and as you couldn't answer, you would just watch it go off the side and then fall off the building. Uh, and to me, that's not a cool party. That is when you start I to agree. get like arch and weird. And you know, there are people that are saying, "Well, for all these years, you always know we're at the cool bar mitzvah. What if we put your things in peril?" You know, and then the story becomes a little bit different. That sounds like an expensive way to do a game show. It's like, oh, we're not giving away these prizes. We're just throwing them off a building. Well, I think it's sunk cost, and as long as pe- as long as you get eyeballs, you don't care whether that piano goes to the person or to the ground. Right. You've already paid. Yeah. for Yeah. <laughs> we already have a piano. The fine. Honer folks that made the piano have gotten their advertisement. They don't care what we do with it. So since they don't care, we're going to throw it off the Bellagio. <laughs> yep. So I realize trying to encapsulate uh, game shows in an hour is 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 a 
Sisyphean task, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> but I think we certainly hit a bunch of the highlights. We didn't even talk about shag carpeting and no. the fun of set design. Oh. Or where card sharks got those giant cards. Oh, speaking of games that don't necessarily transfer to modern day real well <laughs> watching some of those questions on card charts oh. so they'd ask a question out of a hundred people how many you think do x and then you would say they would give an answer the other person would say higher or lower but some of those questions are just cringe worthy oh my and some of them you like some of them are so bad that you have to rewind and play it again yeah it i have no like, idea what the, you're talking about okay so to say so, like, we've we've asked a hundred men how many of you at some point in your life had to realign your wife's senses? And you're like, what did he, was that a euphemism for hitting his wife? Was that really a question? <laughs> like, you have to rewind it. You're like, There's no way they asked that on television. And yes, yes, they did. And the best part is now you have two contestants that have to logic out the answer. So like, well, I think sometimes women, you know, just don't really know what is is good for them. So I'm going to say probably probably about 45. And then the other guy's like, well, you know, I bet there's a lot more women that than you think, and I think it's going to be higher. <laughs> just like I don't want to be part of this conversation at all. And what would be really bad is a lot of them were definitely like I don't know if male gaze is the right term to use, but they're for from the male perspective the questions were asked. But yes. some of the contestants were women. Yes. So it would be, you know, it would be things like, uh, what percentage of housewives do you believe have a job? You know, and the guy would go, well, my wife doesn't. I don't know anybody's wife who does. So 8%. And then the other contestant is a woman. And she's like, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Everyone I know does. It has to be higher. You know, like, and you would have these where you could tell clearly the question was never... Whoever wrote it in the writer's room, whoever it was asked to, at every step of the way, there were only men involved in the process. And, like, it's evident watching it. This is not firing through a weird prism. This is not bringing a weird perspective. This is, as you look at it today, you can't help but tell that because the fact the question ever got asked to anyone and then put on television, somebody through the way should have stopped it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, again... It is a different time, much like the cigarette smoking. It was a different culture. Absolutely. But, yeah, no, card sharks is one where you can definitely see. I had forgotten about that. Yeah, a lot of times in card sharks you can. Because I actually saw a taping of card sharks. I always loved the show, and we used to always play it, you know, the card part, uh, just as kids. Um, And so, yeah, just... But I was watching it. I was... It was probably like a month ago. I was watching it on Game Show Network, and I was just like, did they just... I want to say it was like how many husbands cheat on their wives when they're on a business trip or something like that? I was like, it's like, they asked that question? (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe it. Yeah, and then hearing people logic it out. Well, I do like eight business trips a year. So I don't (laughs) know, 41%. (laughs) What? And that's that's the worst part is when you find out the answer was like 45%, you're like, huh? Who are they interviewing for this? Because you have to imagine that means you went on a business trip, you did cheat on your wife. Then, when you were asked about it, <laughs> four years later, you were fine saying, yeah, absolutely. Like, yes. No, oh. it's, it's, yeah, that is a very cringy show, which is a shame because the actual, like, flipping cards high-low part is kind of fun because it's so big. Yeah. It's so big and so crazy that you're, you're really just watching people gamble on high-low. So even the game is dodgy at best. But there's something <laughs> right. about the big cards in the set where you're like, oh, let's do, let's party, let's do this. Yes, uh, and I, I really want to read a book that interviews all of these uh, beautiful models that are working on these different game shows. And you know, it's like, now i got to move this giant brace forward because it's the tiebreaker. And uh, you know, just all of the behind-the-scenes stuff I think would be fascinating to just to see... Because I imagine all of these are like shoestring budget type productions behind the scenes. Oh, especially those ones in the 70s and 80s, I would imagine have to be. Uh, I, yeah. I'm going to do one plug. If you're a game show nerd and you kind of like want to check out this stuff, there is something called Buzzer Blog, which is sort of like one of the top sort of game show uh, news aggregation sites. And they do a lot of really cool stuff talking about like international game shows and our game shows and kind of what's coming out and that kind of stuff. That if you're interested in this, if this is a thing you would like to see more about, they do a pretty good job of reporting on everything kind of going on in oh. game shows. Well, before we get to my final question. Yes. Uh, what other resources are there out there for movies you'd recommend, more documentaries or, or even fictional movies or or 
you know, the blogs or podcasts that sort of deal with this kind of stuff that you, you both are familiar with. So there's a real interesting one that the Game Show Network did on the guy who was running uh, Pressure Luck or who, who ran the tables on Pressure Luck. He had mastered the timing and basically at some point they're all just like, he's going to let this game go on forever until he's done playing. Mm. And so that was that was kind of an amazing one because what do you do <laughs> when you have that kind of a situation? Yeah, that was uh, Michael Larson. I can't remember what it was called. It was called like the pre- Whammy, the Pressure Luck Scandal or something. Uh, yeah. You can find it on YouTube for some reason. I don't think that like they pretend they never made it. And right. I have no idea <laughs> why they've pretended that, but it is sure a thing. But it's a, it's a fascinating thing. Although they do act the whole time like he cheated Right, and he just was incredibly skilled. Yeah, he was just really good. Like, so what was he? What was he doing? I don't understand. So the the way pressure luck worked is that there was this board, and it would randomly light up different squares on the board. And then you hit your buzzer, and then you got whatever that prize was. Well, a lot of times it could be a whammy, and if you got a certain number of whammies, you were out of the game. And each time you got a whammy, you moved to your next turn. Well, he had gotten the timing down. There was only like six or seven patterns or something like this in the computer that ran. The, the lights. And so he had gotten the pattern down to where he knew when to hit would always give you the big money. And the way the game show is structured, it requires people to hit whammies to move forward. And as long as you don't hit a whammy, then you just keep going because you can earn extra spins. You can just keep going. And so that's what he did. And essentially, he just decided when he had had enough and then he would move on. And there wasn't anything that they could legitimately do about it because it wasn't like he... He didn't cheat the system. It's like counting cards in Vegas. I mean, you're not breaking the rules. You're just doing something they don't want you to do. Plus, Hmm. they had left like a big error in their patterns that he had found. He'd watched enough episodes. He apparently was obsessed with having like a VCR. Like for some reason, that clicked something in him. So he would tape it every day. And apparently after a while, he recognized that there were a set of patterns. And what they did was this. There was one particular run of lights that once it started, if you could count the one light, two light, three light hit, you would hit a certain amount of money and a free spin. And every time the board that was, because there was both a board of lights, and then behind it was a board of pictures. And for some reason, if you could catch this one pattern, every time on the four, it was something and a free spin. So he could keep hitting it and keep getting free spins. What they said the problem was, was he never created an escape plan. He never memorized another pattern that could get him out of it. So he'd have to keep taking turns. And they said that in the very beginning, you watch him and he's like, yeah, no whammies, no whammies, stop. And then he gets this focus. And one guy said it like this. He said, I've never, I've only seen that focus one other time. He said, it was years later when I had a, a kid and he started to play video games. And that intense focus of the whole face on a screen He said, and that's where I saw it again. And you could watch Michael Larson's face just close off. He stopped pretending like he was having fun. He was beating a game. And there's one point where they say he hits hits the buzzer and he wins a trip to Tahiti. And you watch his face get angry because (laughs) he missed the light. And anybody else would win a trip to Tahiti. It was like a $4,000 trip to Tahiti in 1986 money. It is a magical place. And he hits it and you watch him like get ferociously angry and then try to shake it off and they're like that's the moment where we realized he was getting tired and he had not created an escape plan (laughs) so did he he lose all of the stuff or did he win oh no he got them for more money than anyone had ever won on a game show at that point in history it was uh, like 123,000 and some change and CBS who was running the game at the time even tried to not pay him and it Mm. went to court and they said he beat you at your game. It's your fault your board only had eight possible combinations and that you did this. The guy's a genius. He wins. You're awful. We're sorry. And they had to completely redesign everything. They brought the game back uh, like a year later after they had designed the board to have 64 combinations rather than eight. Uh, but yeah, no, they tried to not pay him. But no, he got through the whole thing. He managed to get his escape plans. He passed all the things he needed to and got out of the game with money. But it was the only two-episode game of that ever. So think of like if you were watching Price is Right and something happened so catastrophic in Price is Right that they had to continue it the next day. That was what happened here. That poor yodeler. <laughs> anyway, <Indeed. laughs> so any uh, any other cool... 
documentaries or stories or, or resources on the web? Uh, once again, I would say take a take a look at Buzzer Blog. That is super duper cool. Deal is the documentary about Let's Make a Deal. You already talked about the one about Michael Larson. Um, I know there's also a couple of DVDs. I don't know if they've ever been made into Blu-ray that sort of do like behind-the-scenes things about some of the shows, but none of them, none of them are really coming to me right this second. Uh, Buzzer, B, what is it, B-U-Z-Z-R, is a new network made by Fremantle. You can often get it on your free TV. If not, you can find it all over the internet. And they All they play are old game shows. So if you yep, want to see like, a lot. <laughs> like what was it? I think Double Dare was a game that was on there, and not Double Dare with mm-hmm. Mark Summers. Double Dare, there was an old game hosted by Alex Trebek uh, that used the same theme as Card Sharks. That's on there sometimes. Uh, Blockbuster, which is sort of a word game where you move a word trivia game where you move from one side of a board to another. Some of those can be seen on there, and I would say if you want to kind of look at some of those old games, that's a great resource. Um, and I believe they're also on Twitch. If you go on Twitch, Buzzer has a Twitch channel. So that you can watch it with people and comment on the on the uh, on the stream, uh, so that's kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, um, unless you have something else you desperately need to talk about for uh, you know game shows, I think we should jump into how can you recreate your own game show experience at home, and then send everybody off to do that very thing. <laughs> well. Many of the popular game shows had a popular home edition as well. <laughs> um, so you can certainly pick those up. I myself am still owning the 1978 uh, Family Feud home nice. edition, which I occasionally bring to conventions because what I discovered was it's a lot of fun to try and play a game where you have to th- answer the questions like somebody in 1978 would. So you have the edition <laughs> from the year Bruce was born. Yes. Right. Nice. Right. In fact, last BGG Con, I was playing it with uh, Rodney and Marty from uh, Rolling Dice and Taking yep. Games, and uh, it was funny because Rodney's answering these questions and Marty's kind of looking at him askew because I realized you know Rodney probably wasn't born <laughs> when these questions were asked, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I-, I find that to be a lot of fun. Uh, we actually had a uh, match game party we threw more than once and we actually just watched match game wrote down a whole bunch of the questions picked our favorite ones and then you know just had a party on that and that was that was a lot of fun as well and then i'm gonna go the other way because you're right the home editions are a great way to do it i'm gonna give you a suggestion because i assume if you're listening to this you're board game folks of a couple of board games that i think play very much like game shows um of course i'm gonna say wits and wagers because to me that very much feels like it has the game show feeling to it well, and um, say anything. Can't go wrong course. with that. Yeah. Say anything. <laughs> Word on the street, which is one a lot of people forget, was a big party game maybe eight, ten years ago, uh, but very much feels like a game show structure to me. Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. We have to, since you did mention uh, two games by the company you work for, you actually have to give your disclaimer. Uh, yes, okay, yeah, I do work for North Star Games, the makers of Say Anything and Wits and Wagers. Um, uh, one of the reasons I'm glad I work for them is they're games I do genuinely love and did years before I started working for them. So even if I didn't work for them, I would still mention them in this, they kind of feel like game shows portion of the show. But also remember, I work for the company, so can you really trust me? <laughs> <laughs> well... I don't work for them, and I agree with your decision. Very good. Your, your statements. <laughs> uh, Word on the Street is another great one. It used to be, I think, from maybe Out of the Box. I don't know who does it now. But it's there's a series of letters that are in the center of a street. You give words, and you start pulling the letters towards your side of the street. Essentially, it's a multi-letter tug-of-war uh, that incredibly feels like a game show to me. Um, right. Cool. There's also another one called Oddly Obvious. This one a lot of people haven't heard of. It was made by maybe Endless Games. Uh, and what it is, is is you have a board. Each question card has questions on the back and is like a, a, a board piece. And you show the contestants the side of the board that has a whole bunch of words written in different typefaces and fonts and they're different point sizes and they're turned in all four directions. And then oh. you're going to read a question that is like a pun answer to one of the words. And it's oddly obvious because the word is on the thing you are looking at. But trying to parse through it is difficult. Uh, so that one, uh, I think, is another one that's a really good uh, game show feel to it. Cool. And none of the Jack Jackbox stuff. Do those feel game showy or well, not? Very. Oh no, those are those are game yeah. shows. Then why didn't y'all mention them? <laughs> I because there's a lot of stuff to think about, Donald. All right. Well, someone explain <laughs> them. I haven't actually played any of the new stuff, though. I played the old Jackbox back before they had other games. 
Um, there's too many to really explain, but the gist of it is, is it takes a particular game. You know, we were talking about card sharks, for instance, where you had to, to guess percentages and higher and lower. And they take that and they make it into a game. They put a theme around it and let it run. And um, you don't know Jack itself is where pop culture and trivia meet. And so there's arguably they're just asking trivia questions, but with a pop culture spin. And that's that's really where their brilliance happens because they treat it as a game show. In fact, the whole thing is, you know, we're getting ready to film. There's all a bunch of background stuff going on. It's a game show, um, but it's brilliantly written and brilliantly acted. And, mm. and even in the modern versions, they have sponsors, which I thought was like yes. the coolest thing is they'll tell you at the beginning, like this episode sponsored by Kabricki's Egg Farm. And what you're listening for is if a question is of the theme of the sponsor and is wrong, it doesn't matter. You got it wrong, but the sponsor will pay you so much money for picking their answer that you get a giant bonus. So, like, if all of a sudden one of the answers is very egg-centric and you ring in on the egg-centric answer, that they'll say, you're completely wrong, but you know who loves you? Kabricki's Egg Farm! And they'll hand you, like, way too much money. Like, a $1,000 question. Kabricki's will give you ten grand for having yes. let them put their sponsorship on the show again, which I thought was a really fun twist on something they've been doing for years and years and years of You Don't Know Jack, to find anything new under the sun that they can do. And I thought it was really super well done, but that's one thing they've added in the new versions of You Don't Know Jack. Yeah, the wrong answer of the game is hilarious because yeah. you're on a time crunch as it is. You have to figure out the right answer and then see if the wrong answers might actually fit in. It's it's great. I I want to end with my favorite You Don't Know Jack moment. Okay. Um, and so my wife and I played You Don't Know Jack a lot. And we are the kind of people, it's sort of like the Scrabble thing. We can't play against other players. We are just too honed. We have played it so much. And she... Two-thirds of the time, she wins. But, I mean, we're we're on it. And so we're playing the game. And I want to say this is Jackbox 3. And they introduced what was called the impossible question. And so it was this question that was worth, like, 42 grand, but it was incredibly difficult. And you were never under an obligation to answer it. So we're playing, and my wife is just beating the pants off of me. Not literally. And we get to an impossible question. Spoilers. And it's what, you know, it gives a line from a Shakespeare play. I think it even says it's Macbeth. And it says, what act and what scene is this? And and so, you know, I'm like, I put down the, the controller. I'm not going to answer this at all. And my wife's not going to risk it. She's got too high of a, a bonus ahead of me. Well, the game also has a thing where if you're really far ahead, it will buzz in for you randomly. And this time it buzzed in for her on this impossible question. <laughs> and so she had to answer it. Well, unfortunately for me, she's quite the knowledgeable about Shakespeare with her English degree and studying abroad. And so she answers it correctly. <laughs> and Cookie, he's like, either you cheated or you got lucky, but yes. And then so she ended up getting, you know, 40 grand more and just crushing me. But it was just such a hilarious combination of things that just can only happen in You Don't Know Jack. So there you go. I've left you stunned and speechless. <laughs> well, Don and, and, and Bruce, thank you so much for joining me. I, I knew this would be an exciting topic, uh, even if it was pretty broad. I, I thank you so much for joining. Woo Thanks for I having feel, me. I feel so much more illuminated <laughs> right. about, uh, about game shows. Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, I'm Eric Dewey. I'm Bruce Vogue. I'm Donald Dennis. And you've been listening to? I don't know. In- Inverse Genius. Don't, oh, right. Don't say I on board. Failed games. To buzz in. <laughs> in, in, in inverse genius. <laughs> Sorry. You, you didn't phrase that in the form of a question. <laughs> right. That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. Thank you.